This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Cover 2 Podcast. As always, this is Dan Kadar, joined by Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich. Nate, how's it going? Good, Dan. How are you? I am. I'm really good, but I'm not as good as the 8-3 and three Cleveland Browns, who are, in spite of what power rankings around the internet might tell you, an ascending NFL team, which is a crazy thing to say. Um, so we're going to, this week on the show, we're going to look ahead to Sunday's big, huge, mega massive game the Browns have coming up against the Titans. It's a home game for the Browns. And we've kind of been alluding to this game all year as, as the game for the Browns. So we're going to, we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, but first, let, let's talk about some news that's happening for the Browns right now, Nate. The the big takeaway in, in terms of injuries is Miles Garrett is back off the COVID list, which is great. Now Ronnie Harrison has been put on IR, which means he has to miss three games. How big of a blow is is losing Ronnie Harrison to a shoulder injury? I think it's a huge blow. I think he's by far their best safety. I think he's probably their third best defender after Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward. He's definitely top five. Uh, I wrote this in the takeaways post I do after the game. Uh, I would throw Olivier Vernon and Sheldon Richardson in that conversation too. You know, I don't want to crown Ronnie Harrison too early, but he's come in here and been a bright spot. So he's definitely a lock in my mind as a top five defender on this team, the best safety maybe even as good as as the number three defender on this team. So you lose him, that hurts. You know, you're going to have Carl Joseph and Andrew Sandejo back there. Those are the guys you started this season with, and it was a struggle. You know, Harrison came in September 3rd via that trade with the Jaguars, and they had, you know, the coaching staff tried to ease him in rather than just, you know, kind of throw him in the fire. But when he got in there, he's been making plays. Now he has dealt with injuries, and it's interrupted him. And now he has one after the concussion and after the knee contusion. He's got this shoulder injury, suffered it on the very first play of scrimmage against Jacksonville in his reunion game with his former team. So that was disappointing for him. Even more disappointing, now we get word he is expected to miss four to six weeks. So he's in danger of missing the rest of the regular season. The Browns, as we know, as you said, eight and three, best record since 1994 in the thick of the playoff hunt so i think that there are a lot of reasons to believe that there will be more than a regular season for the browns and harrison should be back for that but it is going to be a little harder down the stretch here for them to secure whatever they're going to secure without him uh and denzel ward is unlikely to play uh against the titans 
according to Kevin Stefanski, that was the word he used, unlikely. So Ward's expected to miss his second consecutive game with that calf injury. So there you go. Two of your best defenders, your two best players in the secondary. You do get Miles Garrett, your best player, back off the COVID list after you were able to weather the storm and go 2-0 without him. So that's good news. But overall, you know, a defense that uh, has struggled uh, for most of the season is uh, pretty shorthanded there in the back end. And you're going to go against a Titans team that has a really, I think, well-rounded, balanced offense. Statistically, they're, they're, you know, they're third in the league in rushing and 22nd in passing. But they got a couple of really good receivers in A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. And I just don't know if I trust Terrence Mitchell and Kevin Johnson against those guys for an entire game and then with no Ronnie Harrison there to help. Yeah, that that's going to be a real challenge, I, I feel like. And maybe the glimpses that the Browns saw out of Andrew Sandejo against uh, the Jaguars just continue to to show themselves against the Titans because the Browns sure do need it now that they have Harrison out. And, man, he, he Harrison was just hitting his stride, it, it feels like, and, and really getting into the groove now that he's set in there as the full-time starter and now, he, now he's hurt again. So that sucks. Um, that's not great. Like we mentioned, Miles Garrett is back. Nate, I, I know it's it's a lot of speculation about the effects of of COVID on on these athletes. There's not a lot of evidence to say um, if if an athlete had coronavirus, COVID nineteen, that they're they're going to be impacted on the field in some way. You know, like Cam Newton. The, the quarterback for the Patriots mm-hmm. is probably the, the most famous NFL player to to publicly officially have COVID-19. And, you know, he really struggled when he came off the, the COVID list for the Patriots. And so there was some speculation that maybe it had to do with him having uh, the virus. Maybe he's just he's just washed at this point. That's entirely possible. But is it reasonable to be a little apprehensive about what to expect out of Miles Garrett in this game in that he, he's been a miracle worker when he's played for the Browns with, the, with all the sacks, all the forced fumbles, and all that kind of stuff. But should we kind of maybe expect not a full load from Miles Garrett, even though he is back? Yeah, I think that's completely reasonable because – this is unprecedented. We, we've never covered players coming back from COVID-19, right? I mean, right. this is new. So it, it's going to be very specific, especially with the way this virus and, and COVID-19, the disease works, right? There, some people have very severe symptoms and, and obviously, unfortunately and tragically has killed many people. And on the other hand, there are people who are asymptomatic and, and or have very mild symptoms. So, yeah, I, I don't know what to expect. Um, you know, I asked Kevin Stefanski if he has a sense or some level of comfort that when Garrett gets back, we will see the Garrett we're used to seeing. And he said that he thinks so because he knows how hard Miles Garrett works. 
So he is confident. However, he hasn't seen him yet in person since this all went down and since he tested positive. He's been away from the team, obviously, so he can't say for sure. He has faith, but he cannot say for sure, and that's going to be the case. Even practices aren't going to tell Garrett, and they're not going to tell the Browns exactly what the true story is going to be. We'll find out when the Browns are in Nashville because that's how it goes. You know, I've talked to enough guys over the years uh, covering football that you can test injuries, you can test your wind, you can test your stamina, you can test a lot of things to a certain extent in practice, but it does not compare to the game, and you're never really going to know until you get out there and really, you know, give it a, a shot full force. So, you know, it's impossible to answer, but yes, it is reasonable to temper expectations because it is so unpredictable and it is such a case-by-case, case, uh, you know, variance that you're looking at with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. How many practices will the Browns have with Garrett this week? Uh, of course, assuming that practices don't get shut down again, is will they have two, three practices with him? They'll have three uh, if the schedule remains intact, they'll practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They have a walkthrough on Saturday, and they then they fly on Saturday after the walkthrough. Mm. I'll be fascinated to see what what comes out of that in regard to to Miles Garrett and and just the the condition he's in. Not not necessarily the medical. Is he you know does he still have a cough type of condition? Just the what's this guy's you know, wind like. I, I know you said it's hard to measure, but you know, we we've seen people who get sick. It really just affects their body, like their 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 body chemistry. You know, their their size and and their strength, and it, it's going to be crazy to to watch that because he's such a a physical force of a player. So um, that that's definitely. Uh, I, I'm going to be interested to see the snap count for him, I guess, is, is what I'm boiling down to here. But, you know, other than that, Nate, what what's going on in Brown's world besides looking ahead to this Titans game? Is it kind of business as usual for the Browns, if you can say as much? I mean, last week it just seemed like um, it was just news after news after news of, you know, stuff breaking practices being canceled, players being put on the COVID list. This week so far, we're recording this on Tuesday at 4.45, so of course things will change, but kind of seems like a, a little bit of a, a quiet week for the Browns other than this injury stuff, right? Well, I mean, I don't know what, what you're trying to stir up here. Nothing. Uh, no, nothing. But, no, no stirring going. Well, I mean, it seems like, you know, you want some like bombshell story to land in my lap here or something, but I stay busy enough, Dan. I mean, Ronnie Harris got hurt, <laughs> one of their better players. Uh, Miles Garrett, their best player, got activated today. It's been a newsy enough week. Yeah, no, they don't have the, the string of COVID positives, and that's that's very fortunate. That can happen at any time. That's that's what is going on in the world, in the country, and it's it's what's going on in the NFL. Um, the last week it was very busy. It was very busy. And, it, and, and when it comes to COVID-19 in the NFL, no news is good news. Okay. So 
If you have news, that means the players are testing positive. It happened three days in a row last week with Joe Jackson, Sione, Taki Taki, and uh, Porter Gustin, your guy, Dan. They're still mm-hmm. on the COVID list. Andy Janovich got activated yesterday from the COVID list. Miles Garrett today, so some guys coming back. Chris Hubbard late last week got activated off the COVID list. So, so three of the six guys who were on it are, are off it. But, yeah, I mean, you, you can never be lulled into a false sense of security with this virus and the, the havoc that it can wreak. Look what's going on with the Ravens, you know. So um, this is one of the things that we got to talk about, Dan. Kevin Stefanski, there's so many things to like about this guy. And obviously, we liked a lot about him even before he was 8-3. and three. Uh, you know, I, I told you before you hit record that I really started to become impressed with him in May when I started working on our uh, season preview magazine. I started talking to a lot of guys from his life, his high school coach, who he's known for, you know, 20 plus years, Gary Kubiak, Brad Childers, Leslie Frazier, talking to Stefanski himself, um, and Sage Rosenfels, who was in the Vikings quarterback room with him and Brett Favre. Uh, you know, and just get in a sense for him. And, and I started really thinking, you know, who knows if he'll succeed, but he sounds like a really high character guy who has all the leadership qualities that, that you would want. And I think that we've seen that play out. One of the areas in which it's played out, and it's a huge area, is how he has treated COVID-19 with seriousness, with diligence. From the very beginning, when this uh, – pandemic shut down the country and and the Browns and the rest of the NFL were forced to hold uh, virtual offseason programs. He was dead serious about it. He wasn't complaining about the rules. He was embracing them. He was telling the players they had to embrace them. He's not one of these coaches on the sideline with the mask hanging off, falling off. He's not getting fined. The Browns aren't getting fined. It doesn't mean that, that they're bulletproof, that they're invincible. We saw what happened with the positive test last week. It can happen. It can spread. But he has taken it very seriously, led by example, didn't have any family members over for Thanksgiving, his, his wife, Michelle, his three young kids, and him. That was it. He's not taking risks. He's trying to do the right things. And that's been a huge part of his leadership because if you're able to play and you're able to keep your team afloat amid this pandemic, look at the advantage you're going to have over a team like the Broncos who didn't have a quarterback this past game. Right. And, you know, look, I, I think my my line of questioning, if you will, before that was more along the lines of um, it, se- it just seems like in years past, at least by now in this time of the week and even later in the week, there was still always like discussion about something stupid that the Browns did in the previous game or something weird that a player said after the game or did after the game or or something and it just in spite of all the COVID stuff there that isn't happening this year and I think that's good and I think it's a obviously a a reflected in their eight and three record you know, and, and maybe just things with good teams are more normal. But I think it's also a, a testament to Stefanski. Who... Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Like you heard Baker Mayfield in the off seasons, you know, say that he's moving in silence. He's, he didn't do a lot of interviews. 
he talked to the Browns beat writers. Um, you know, he did, you know, a couple things, but really, you know, I, he went on TV like during Super Bowl week and did the Kumbaya moment with Rex Ryan and all that <laughs> ESPN, but there wasn't a lot like there really wasn't. It wasn't like last year. It wasn't Miles Garrett writing. We're here, you know, to the players tribune and, in an essay and that coming out a week before the, the opener or whatever days before the opener, it wasn't, you know, um, GQ covers and sports illustrated covers. And, you know, it, it, it was, it was toned down. It really was. Now a big part of it was Stefanski. A big part of it was Stefanski as we move on. And as, as we proceed here, it's still a lot of Stefanski's influence. But it's also the pandemic. We keep coming back to it. It affects all of us. Um, the Brown, the Browns PR director, Peter Jean Baptiste, said that his beat, the beat writers, you know, myself included, are covering the team like through a peephole this year. So we just don't have the access to these guys. So that's part of it too, right? There's there's fewer opportunities for guys to say crazy things. That's true. Um, but I do give Stefanski a lot of credit along these lines as well. So he he has, you know, the, as he has been aided in this respect by the pandemic because there isn't the media, you know, uh, um, horde constantly. You know, there isn't the the herds at the lockers. You know, after games, um, you know, things are different. The Browns have much more control over it. They put on Zoom who they want to put on Zoom. You know, I request people, my colleagues request people. Um, we try to get uh, who we need um, by working with the PR staff and everything like that, but it is much different than a normal year. Um, so that, I guess that's one silver lining. From a media perspective, they're able to control things. Uh, obviously, the pandemic is awful and has created sacrifices and inconvenience and all kinds of tragedy and heartbreak um and hardship um but you know if, if you're looking at silver linings like i look at like i get to spend more time with my family well if you're looking at it from a brown's pr stat you do get to control the message a little more <laughs> that that's very true and well said and of course that that does not mean anything negative about how a team is covered i mean that's just the news process whether it's the browns or or the city of akron or or anything so um it's a it's a fascinating talking point but we do need to move on to the browns game this week because it's it is a real doozy now i i think i might have said two weeks ago it's a de facto play-in game for the playoffs. And that, that might not be true at this point, but the Browns sure can cement themselves this week. I mean, they're, they have a one-game lead for the final, or for the, for the first wild-card spot. They're 8-3, and three. the Dolphins are 7-4, and four, and the Colts are 7-4, and four, who the Browns beat. Nate, the Browns can really put their foot down on the the wild card race if they beat the eight and three Titans this week. Uh, I'm not sure where we want to start with this, but let, let's start with this one. Um, what is the the key to a Browns win this week? And I, I assume you're going to say 
the running game because it's just so good. What, what's your key to the game this week for the Browns? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, to, to win that battle between the two dominant rushing attacks. So, you know, obviously, I, I, I think Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are going to continue to give teams problems. I think they will give the tight ends problems. You know, the tight ends, um, you know, they have a middle-of-the-road run defense. It's not that good. Uh, you know, the Browns, they really struggled against the run during Miles Garrett's absence, and they have struggled against the run at other times this year. But really, the last two weeks, you know, um, let's talk about Jacksonville. I mean, the rookie running back tore him up pretty good. James Robinson, you know, um, Sheldon Richardson, defensive tackle, we know uh, speaks the truth when he does speak, and he said that, that, that that kid's legit, and he really gave the Browns problems, you know. So, you know, you're going to have to come off that performance. You gave up as a Browns rush defense 128 yards to, to Robinson on 22 carries and a touchdown. He averaged 5.8 yards an attempt. So, you, got, you know, you're going against Derrick Henry here. I guess – you need Nick Chubb and Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to be doing what they've been doing, but you really have to figure out a way to to not let Derrick Henry have a crazy, you know, game that he's capable of having. Especially when that calendar turns to December, that guy seems to hit another gear. Um, he certainly showed out against the Colts this past weekend. So if you can somehow win that battle not by shutting him down because it's not going to happen but if he can limit them you have to win the turnover battle when i look at this i'm like the colt the, the titans are are very similar to the browns in a lot of ways first of all they run a, that, a very similar offense right i mean jack conklin spent the past four years of the titans came here and talked about how it's almost the same offense you know they're running the the zone blocking scheme. Um, they're running a lot of play action, passing with Tannehill, the rollouts, the bootlegs, and he can do damage with his feet too. You know, and they've got they've got a, a really nice system like the Browns have. I think that, like I said, they're they have a little more explosive passing game than than Cleveland though. Um, so my my point is that. They do it really well. They run it really well. They have the potential of those two receivers to be explosive through the air, and then they take care of the ball. They're plus 11 in turnover differential. That's ranked second in the league. Browns are plus five. They're really good. That's tied for sixth. So I feel like they do a lot of what the Browns do, but I think that they do it a little bit better. So, you know, they're both eight and three, though, and the Browns are getting Miles Garrett back. I think he can give the Titans some fits. I think Taylor Luan not being available, being out for the season, could be a big deal in this game. You know, the the, the Titans have been there before. That um, happened last year when they faced the Browns in the opener. Taylor Luan was serving a suspension. So, again, we're not going to see that matchup with Miles Garrett. But I, I just have a lot of respect for the Titans, what they do, how well coached they are by Mike Vrabel. They obviously 
embarrassed the Browns in the opener last year, 43-13. The Browns embarrassed themselves with the 18 penalties for 182 yards. They are a much more disciplined and mature team under Kevin Stefanski than they were last year under Freddie Kitchens. So I think it's going to be a pretty good game. I am going to pick the Titans. Um, I know a couple weeks ago I said I was going to pick the Browns to beat the Eagles, and then I changed my pick because Miles Garrett tested positive for COVID and went on the COVID list, and I thought I thought this was going to be a tight game. I don't know if the Browns can do it without their best player, and then I was flat out wrong. I was an idiot for doing that because what I didn't take into account is the Eagles just give up sacks no matter who they're playing. Carson Wentz just holds the ball forever. Olivier Vernon went off, tied a career high with three sacks. One of them was a safety. He was AFC Defensive Player of the Week. If you were going to miss Miles Garrett, that was the game to miss Miles Garrett because you're going to get sacks regardless. Browns did. They won. I shouldn't have changed my pick. But this week I am going to go to the Titans and stick with them. Wow. Well, there, there's a lot to take in there. That was like a, a whirlwind of, of thought. Um, I'm not sure where to take it from there, but I will say a, f- a few things. I am, I am much more happy to see a returning Miles Garrett go against Dennis Kelly, who is a swing tackle by trade. Uh, and he's, he's playing for Lawan, who I, I think is really good. I, I kind of feel like the Titans are a year ahead of the Browns and their trajectory in, in just about every way, at least on offense. You know, like the Titans were in the AFC title game last year. They lost to the Chiefs, obviously. Uh, I, I think the Titans can can get that far this year. And they're a team that, like you said, they're really well coached. I think I think Mike Rabel is the best new head coach that's been hired in the NFL in the past few years. Um, just a, a really tough, hard-nosed, classic kind of guy. And he's from this area, which is neat. Um, but I, I just feel like the Titans are a year ahead of the Browns, you know, like in, in every way. And I think that Henry... Man, watching him in in First Energy Stadium last year, that 75-yard reception, it's unreal what he can do at his size and how big he is and how fast he is, the whole whole thing. He is, he's crazy impressive. He's like, I love Nick Chubb. I think everybody loves Nick Chubb who's listening to this. I, I think he, I think, Derrick Henry's just a little bit better right now. I think he's a year ahead of of where Chubb could be a year from now. So I, I can don't I, know. Can I interrupt real quick? Of course. Of course. I ask if I can interrupt while I am interrupting. Um, <laughs> hey, so so if you're going to say that, uh, I want to know, are they 1-2 in the league for you? Like... Where, like the as far as running backs go, yeah, like yeah, I get it. Like, okay, yes. Derrick Henry's a little bit better than Chubb, but that's it, right? I mean, or is there more? Because to me, I can live with that. But man, if any, if anybody's, I got to think twice about saying anybody's better than Nick Chubb. This might be the guy, but is there anybody else? Well, I mean, you can make an argument for Dalvin Cook of Minnesota and you Christian. Can. I, I think so. Okay. And, and Christian McCaffrey of, 
of the Panthers in that both of them are extremely effective pass catchers. Right. Whereas Henry, in spite of the 75-yard touchdown against the Browns, not the not the biggest receiver. And Nick Chubb, I mean, this is something I actually wanted to ask you about, so I'm glad we're bringing it up. Mm-hmm. He's not much of a receiver. But in the last game, he did have three catches. The Browns really pushed screens in that game. Do you think that's going to become a bigger part of of their offense where they're targeting Chubb in the passing game because it, it sure was effective against Jacksonville. Yeah, I think so. Why not get Baker Mayfield going a little bit that way? You know, um, we saw Baker thread the needle and some phenomenal throws, some great connections with, with Jarvis Landry. We also saw the misses. I don't want to get too bogged down in talking about that because I wrote all about it after the game. It's been a huge talking point, you know, we're recording on a Tuesday. You're going to see this on a Wednesday. We don't have to go over all the misses again. He was talking about them after the game. He channeled Ron Swanson, had a funny line about it, was able to laugh it off because they won. Um, so that's all good. Uh, you know, he's got to be better. If he missed throws against the Titans, Steelers, Ravens, teams of that caliber, you know, seven points, it could have been, but you get three instead, a four-point swing. That can cost you a game against these playoff caliber teams, these teams that are going to be there in the playoffs. So that's kind of how I want to wrap that up real quick. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's helpful. It's quarterback friendly, right? It's not just quarterback friendly to hand off the ball to Nick Chubb, who's so good uh, <laughs> coming out of the backfield in that uh, in that zone or behind that zone blocking scheme as a runner, but yeah, mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't just have cream hunt be the receiving back. Nick Chubb's fine. I mean, he really is when you throw him the ball. I mean, most of the time he gets it done and gets it done. Well, that's how they iced the game. It was third and 12. Okay. He, first of all, he gets a first down on a run. It was third and two. He gets a, he gets a three, three yards and a first down to seal the game, except for hang on a second, holding penalty, JC Treader on former Browns uh, defensive tackle, Daniel Uquali. Okay, so now it's third and 13. Time for the screen to Chubb. Awesome pancake block by Joel Batonio with a guy uh, on a linebacker who uh, was in Chubb's face. Chubb bounces it outside, go, runs along the sideline. He sees Joe Schobert, probably reminding him of those practices in Berea. He's flying right at the first down marker to try to collide with Chubb and keep him from the first down and Chubb just slows a little bit just decelerates a bit Schobert goes flying right into the sideline Chubb cuts back in falls forward 13 yards first down he's got such a great sense for everything such great vision such a great field instincts all of it is so natural combine that with just the freaking nature he is uh he's so much fun to watch and if you throw it to him um, you know, he's going to get it done more times than not. He's a fine receiver. He's not one of these Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook receiving backs, but he is above average and just not used as much, I think, especially because Kareem Hunt is his teammate. True. Very true. Well said. And I do want to say, just deep into the podcast, um, I love Joel Batonio. Like, he's kind of become the forgotten man this year to some degree on, on this really great offensive line that has developed into something else under Bill Callahan. When you have 
the star first round pick at left tackle. You have, you know, everybody always talks about JC Treader being tough and dependable. And oh yeah, he's the president of the players association. Wyatt Teller's having an all pro year and is the best run blocking guard in the NFL. And then you have the big money right tackle in Jack Conklin. But Batonio has been like, he's so good and he's so overlooked. So this is just a shout out to Joel Petonio, who uh, on that chub play you were talking about at the end of the game, he's he's just so good. Um, I, I'm a huge Joel Petonio fan. Um, yeah, I, I still think he's the Browns' best lineman. Wow, that's saying something. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think why Teller's the top-rated guard, pro football focus. I haven't seen the latest guard grades. But um, but but Tonio's up there. I think he was like six, five or six last I looked, maybe a week ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is just having a hell of a season, and he's he's been to two Pro Bowls. He should go again. You know, here's the thing about Teller: he started off red hot, then he got hurt. He missed three games with the calf, right? He's given up a sack in each of the last three games. He's still playing really well. Hell, he blocked three guys on that Cream Hunt um, Air Jordan leap from the five hurdle <laughs> against right. the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like White Teller literally got a piece of three guys as Cream Hunt was run behind him off the right side out there in space. So, yeah, White Teller's really good. But I just don't think he's quite himself since the calf injury. I asked him about it yesterday on Zoom. And he he didn't flat out say that it was still affecting him. But he did say that it has been hard since the injury for him. Um, And part of that is with the COVID protocols being what they are, another obstacle is guys coming back from injury can't get in the facility as early and as often as they normally would be able to. The Intensive protocols every team in the NFL is dealing with right now um, as a way to try to combat COVID means that the player's time in the training facility is reduced. And Wyatt Teller was speaking to kind of, you know, the maintenance that you need on your body. Um, You know, there's some challenges there when you're just not able to be in Berea as much as you would like or as much as you normally would be able to. So I, I just don't think he is, uh, you know, at full strength. But I still think he's playing really well, and and he's been a revelation this year for them at right guard. I still think uh, in my Browns offensive line power rankings, I, I'm giving Joel Batonio the nod at number one. <laughs> I I don't know how I would rank them. I, I just like Joel Batonio. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm here I'm here to kind of take your ideas and just and maybe like you know throw a hot take in there. I but like Jack Conklin's been really good too. He has been. He he's been he's been really good um, pass blocking, which is exactly what the Browns need next to Teller, who is much better blocking the run than the pass. So um, it, the line's been great. Bill yeah. Callahan is the best. Best assistant coaching hire in the NFL this cycle. Yeah. I mean, you can't say enough about the line. Treader is so reliable, dependable, right. um, and tough, and he does play through all kinds of injuries. And and then Wills, 
you know, Wills has a lot of room to grow because he's a rookie, right? And he should. And, but you know what? If I had to make a list of the most pleasant surprises of the Brown season about the players, you know, like I would – big picture, I would go eight and three because I had him eight and eight. I just thought it would be hard with the new coaching staff to get, you know, this sure. much on the same page and, and to be as successful as they are when they didn't have an off season. Um, so yeah, I, I, I did not expect, uh, a double digit win season. They certainly have that right in front of them. Okay. But if I had to go on more of a, a micro level and do most pleasant surprises about the players, I would go Jedrick Wills transition from col- from high school and college right tackle to NFL left tackle being as smooth as, as it's been again with no real offseason, just that virtual program. Didn't get on the field with his Browns coaches until August. Then had no preseason games. I thought this might be a big problem, you know, and it could be not only a short-term problem, but then you get into the questions of if they can't play this guy, if the transition doesn't work out, does it mess with his confidence and all sorts of things. Right. He has been really, really solid. Um, and I've just been so impressed. And I think Bill Callahan has helped tremendously uh, to your point, Dan, about him being one of the best offensive mind, uh, best offensive minds, best offensive line minds and best offensive line coaches, just a total wizard when it comes to technique. Um, yeah, Wills would be my number one most pleasant surprise. I agree completely. Last thing about this game, Nate, why is it at one o'clock still? I mean, I, I think you and I prefer one o'clock games for work and life purposes, but like, why is this game at one o'clock? I mean, the Lions and Bears <laughs> is one o'clock. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a hell of a matchup. It's a hell of a matchup. It's, I hope that it lives up to the hype. On paper, it should be a great game. I, I do agree with you, Dan. I think you said it better than I did. I, I kind of was like, you know, I look at the Titans and I look at the similarities and I just think that they're they're what the Browns do in so many ways, but they just do it a little bit better. And you said it, you, you kind of piggybacked off that and said it better. You said that they're like a year ahead of the Browns in development. And that makes so much sense, right? Rabel's been there. He's been able to change the culture. You know, they had that success and that run they had to the AFC title game last year. You're right. It's like they're the Browns plus, and a lot of it has to do with experience. So I think it's going to be a hell of a matchup. I give the edge to Titans because of those very reasons we discussed. I regrettably do as well. And, of course, the the big caveat to that is unless Miles Garrett can – really make a huge impact and, and hey, go get another strip sack in your first game back from having COVID. No big deal. If he can do that, I think it's a Browns win. Otherwise, I just think Tennessee's really, really, really good. Um, and, and they're fun to watch. Uh, so hopefully this game is good. Again, it's at 1 o'clock CBS in Tennessee. We will have full coverage of it across the USA Today Ohio network, com, of course. Nate, you got anything else for us this week before we check out? Uh, no, I think that's pretty good, Dan. Uh, you know, it's it's been fun to talk about the Browns uh, being different than they have been for so many seasons. And 
you know, we've talked through one and 31 week in, week out. I know we missed Thanksgiving recently, but it, it's been kind of cool to, you know, have something different to cover this year. And, uh, wow, you know, December and Bria has a whole new meaning right now. It really does. And apologies about last week, everybody. I had the week off. and It's like the first week of Thanksgiving I've had off basically in my whole career. So I, I took advantage of that time off and, and did almost nothing work-related. So Yeah, but you were still willing to do the podcast, and I screwed that up too. So I uh, owe everyone an apology. Even No. <laughs> no, you didn't screw it up. 2020 uh, screwed it up, basically. Yeah, well, we always have that to blame, and uh, I for think one more month, get on board with that. Yes, indeed, they can. And on that note, that is going to do it here on the Cover Two podcast. You can follow Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich. You can find all of our coverage of the Browns over at BeaconJournal.com/sports/Browns. It's my understanding we have we we might have a cool story coming up this week from Marla Ridenauer. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And of course, all of Nate's coverage of the team. Hopefully things continue to be quiet the rest of the week. But if not, Nate will have you covered. So with that said, thanks everybody for listening. And we'll talk to you next time.